Uh, if you have a copy of the scripture, which I hope that you do, you can open up to the book of Romans chapter 10. Uh, we're going to look at a few verses from that wonderful letter and that wonderful chapter of Romans chapter 10. Uh, but this is a momentous day, as I mentioned at the beginning, in the life of our church. Uh, there uh, have been many like these before, and hopefully many to come in the future as well, as long as Jesus stays in heaven. But we get today to commission a, a dear couple uh, from our church. Who, For some, they are our son or daughter. For some, they are our friends. Or for myself, a life group member. Uh, they, they are brothers and sisters who are members of our church, and we get the privilege of sending them out this morning. And so before I get into this text, I want to take a few minutes to share with you at least briefly what they're going to be doing and we'll edit this part out of the video I wanted to, to open up our text of Romans 10, and then Pastor Tom will refer to a few others. As I speak to us as a collective church family, and I speak to myself as not just a pastor, but as a member of our church as well, I think these verses have a lot to teach us about sending, about why missionaries must go, uh, and why they must be sent. Those are the two headings in my time as we look at this text that I'd like us to see from God's Word is why missionaries must go, and then why missionaries must be sent. And those may seem like the same thing to you, synonymous. They're not. There's some overlap, but I think we'll see that both of those are important and necessary, that missionaries must go and that missionaries must be sent. So I want to read this text for us, Romans chapter 10. We're going to start at verse 13, and I'm going to end at verse 15. So there's three verses of Scripture, and uh, we will walk back through this under those two headings, why missionaries must go and why missionaries must be sent. But follow along with me in your copy of the scriptures. The Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote this. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent. As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. This is the word of God. This text has so much that, that we can glean from it, but I just want to talk under those two headings, why missionaries must go, why missionaries must be sent. But under that first heading, why missionaries must go, I, I want you to see right from the start in this text in verse 13, the, the universal need of salvation. Uh, that, that this is something that if you read through this whole letter that Paul has written, he has made it painfully clear in the earlier chapters of this letter that all human beings need saved. Uh, that there is a, a need for salvation that is uh, true of every human being that has ever walked this planet other than Christ himself. Uh, that, it, that is true of every human being who will walk this planet. You see in verse 13, he, he quotes Joel chapter 2 and he says, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That the, the fact that they can be saved, that they will be saved, implies that they needed saving, right? That they needed saving from something or saving from someone even. And, and this is a universal need. I, I would say this as true of a person who grows up Baptist in north central Indiana as it is of a person who grows up Buddhist in Laos, right? That every person needs saving. There's no exceptions to this. Every human being is sinful. Every human being in this room and on this stage has rebelled against God. That, that our creator who made us, who gave us his law to follow, we have disobeyed him. We've defied him. And we are deserving, as hard as it is to, for us to think, we're deserving of his judgment. We're deserving of punishment as those who've offended our creator. 
So we need saving, but praise God, there is good news that can be shared, right? That's where the passage ended. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. There's good news that God has given to us, uh, that we can be saved, that every human being can be saved. And the way that that way of salvation comes to us is through the person of Jesus Christ, that God the Father, the one we have wronged, the one we have offended, he sent his very son into our world to become a human being with us and among us. And he lived righteously when we live unrighteously. He obeyed perfectly. And ultimately at the cross, the center point of all human history, God the Son took our sin upon himself. He let our sin be counted to him, transferred to him. And God the Father put him to death on the cross. God punished him for our sins so that they might be removed. Call upon the name of the Lord. Cry out to him for forgiveness of sins. Not because we are good, not because we are moral, but because Christ has died for us and been raised for us. And this passage says that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus will be saved. That is a promise from God himself. And we see that that's the means of salvation, right? If salvation is going to come to anyone in this room, if it's going to come to anyone in the nation that they're being sent to, I'm going to try to be careful about using code words uh, here so we don't have to edit out too much. But if anyone uh, there is to be saved, they must call upon the name of the Lord Jesus, right? That's what this text says. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So that calling upon him is a, is a shorthand way of talking about what the Bible talks about more fully in other places, of repenting of our sins, placing our faith in Jesus Christ, the one who was crucified for us, the one who was raised for us. If we will call upon him, we will be saved. Everyone in this room, everyone on this planet, that is true of them. But you see in this text this important chain of events that has to take place in order for that to happen, don't you? Uh, He says everyone who calls on the name of Jesus will be saved, but then he continues and sort of works backwards of what has to happen for that to happen, as Pastor Larry famously asked, and I appreciate that question. What has to happen for people to call upon the name of Jesus? He works backwards, doesn't he? Starting in verse 14, he says, how will the, and these are rhetorical questions that work back in time, how will they call on him in whom they've not believed? That's a legitimate question, right? If they need to call upon Jesus... That means that they need to have a heart that trusts in him, a heart that really believes in him and understands what he has done for them. Uh, that when, when we send missionaries out, we're not just trying to get them to a people group to get them to say some magic words as if just saying a right formula of words saves them. Paul is saying that calling upon Jesus for salvation has to come from a heart that rests upon him. That it is banking their soul on what he's done for them and what he's doing for them even now. They must believe in him. So if they're going to call on him for forgiveness of sins, they have to believe in him. They have to trust in him. They have to rest their soul upon him. But then he backs up in time and he asks again. He says, how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And this is where it starts to get very urgent for us. How can they call on him if they don't believe in him? How can they believe in him if they haven't heard of him? That's a logical question, right? and one that we have to wrestle with, that they cannot believe in the person they've not heard of. They can't believe a gospel they've never heard. They can't rest their soul upon a Savior they don't even know, that they've never heard anything about. And so Paul isn't implying in this that when he says that they must hear about Christ, he's making it clear to us, and he's implying that knowing about Jesus is not just something that resides in our own minds and we just need to figure out 
ourselves, we have to hear it. We have to have it come from another human being. Uh, it's not just something we sort through on our own. We have to hear it from a person. It has to be given to us. And that's what he gets at with this next question. He says, how are they to hear without someone preaching? That's how he ends verse 14. How can they hear if nobody preaches to them? And this is where it's that sobering privilege I just prayed about a minute ago where God uses human beings to preach the good news of Jesus. If the good news is going to come to other fellow sinners in our community or around the planet, it's going to come through the mouths of God's people. It's going to come through the witness of God's people who have heard this message ourselves and now take it to someone else. And when Paul talks about preaching here, he's not talking about like what I'm doing right now. We often think of preaching as just a formal thing that happens, and there is something unique about preaching and the gathering of God's people. But when he's talking about the preaching of Christ here, he's talking more about evangelism, talking about people saying the good news in the marketplace and in their home and uh, around the dinner table. That is the type of preaching he's talking about, telling people the good news of Jesus. That has to happen in this chain if they're ever going to call upon Jesus and to be saved. And the question that should weigh upon any of our souls in this room, and I know has weighed on their souls as they've weighed through things the last several years, the question is, what if no one goes? Like, what if no one goes to this people group? Like, what will happen to those people? I, I seriously want you to think about like if, they, if they're not to get on, their, on this plane in a few weeks and go and invest decades of their life, what will happen to those people? What will happen to the next generation of people that live there? What will happen to the generation after that? If nobody, I've thought about this a lot this week in the last several months, if nobody goes to them with the gospel, if nobody takes their feet and goes to them with the gospel, they are still going to go to God with their sins, aren't they? Their sins are not going to be removed. Like God's not going to just grade on a curve or something and say, well, since you didn't hear, I'm going to judge you differently. I'm going to give salvation to you in ways that I don't give to other people. If nobody goes to them with the gospel, they cannot call upon Jesus because they haven't believed in him. And they haven't believed in him, at least in part, because they haven't even heard of him. If, if nobody goes, God doesn't look at the ignorance of those people. He doesn't look at the ignorance of the gospel and say, well, you're forgiven. You're off the hook. Their sins remain. The only way that sin can be removed is by calling upon the name of the Savior that God has sent to our world. And so that is why missionaries must go. Because if anybody is to call upon Jesus and be saved, missionaries must go to them. Preachers must go to them. But this, this logic, this chain doesn't stop at the end of verse 14, does it? He goes on in verse 15, he adds one more chain link on here that's very important for us this morning. He says, after he's asked, how can they hear without someone preaching? He asks in verse 15, and how are they to preach unless they are sent? That's a part of this equation that we often don't think about. Uh, we may go back to the preaching part, but we don't go back to the sending part. And this is where I want us to think about why missionaries must be sent. I think Paul, first and foremost, as he write, wrote this, was thinking about the sending that God himself does, that, that God commissions people to go to the, the nations. He commissions people to go with the good news to people who don't believe it yet. And we're going to see this even as we get back into 2 Corinthians next Sunday, that as we go with the gospel, wherever God calls us, that we are ambassadors 
for Jesus' sake, right? That, that we, we are under his authority. We are speaking on his behalf, not just on our own, right? We are going with his good news, not just our own. We, we are sent by him. And this is important for, for them to remember. Is the missionary, the, the church planter, is not the one to whom those people will ultimately answer, are they? Like those people were created by God himself. The people they're going to were created by God and they will answer to him. And as it would behoove anyone we send out to, to make sure that they are representing the truth of God, that they are speaking on his behalf, that they know that they are sent by him. If you had someone in your neighborhood who was trying to sell their car and they do the stereotypical thing and they, they set their car out and put a for sale sign in the window, you could if you wanted to, I don't know why on earth you would do this, but you could go to your neighbors or people who are driving by and start trying to sell it for them. You could try to negotiate with people who come by and say, oh yeah, it's a great car, like I'll give it to you at such and such price. You could even do a transaction, you could, make, you could sign contracts, whatever you want to do. But if that is not your car, you have no right to do that. You have no authority to do that. And as missionaries go, as church planners go, they can only promise what God promises. They can only sell, so to speak, what God sells. They can only invite people to be reconciled to God on God's terms, not on their own. Like they, they are preaching a good news that God has given to them. So I think Paul was talking about being sent by God first and foremost, but I also know in the heart of God was this idea that missionaries, church planners need to be sent by a church. They need to be sent by other fellow human beings. And I think that this is true because Paul himself was sent by a church. I don't know if you know this, but we shared this some at our event last night, which thank you to those who were able to join us for that. But uh, we shared this text from Acts chapter 13 that I think we'll have up on the screen here. This references even something that this very author had happened in his life uh, in Acts chapter 13, verses 1 through 4. He would have been known by the name Saul in this text. But I want you to hear as I read this text that, that would have taken place in his life, the sending that was done by God, by the Holy Spirit, and then note how there's also this simultaneous sending of the church. So listen to those things carefully. He says, Luke records this, Now there were in the church at Antioch, so this church in this town, prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who is called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul, the guy who wrote our text today. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So church is doing the sending, which we're going to lay hands on them after a little while uh, here. Uh, but they sent them off, the church. Then very next sentence, verse 4. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. The author of that text, Luke, sees no tension in those things, and no contradiction in those things. They're sent by the church at Antioch. They're sent by the Holy Spirit. Those things go hand in hand in his mind, and they ought to go hand in hand in ours. That even as church planners and missionaries are sent by God, they're also sent by us. They are sent by us as a local church. The Holy Spirit calls people to that work. He sets them apart for that work. But then that church there prayed for them and sent them off. And missionaries, present and future, uh, missionaries need to remember the importance of being sent by a church. 
The Holy Spirit himself there in Acts calls the church to affirm those brothers before they're sent out. And that should be true of anyone that is sent out from our church. In our world today, we have an ability more than ever before to kind of establish our own platform, establish our own voice in the world. We can tweet stuff out, and if possible, thousands of people may see it. Uh, We can kind of build our own platform to speak on. But in the kingdom of God, that does not work. Like God, if if we're to go on his behalf, we're to be sent by churches, not just because we want to. The calling upon a missionary is not just something they sort through on their own, inside themselves, but it's something that's sorted out in community and affirmed by the community of Christians and by the leaders in that church. And then those brothers or sisters are sent out by the church, not just on their own. And being sent by God and being sent by a church, it provides a few worthwhile things, important things for those that are sent. It provides them with authority. It helps them know as they go into that hard work that they are not just there on their own. They've been sent by people. They've been sent by God. And so it gives them confidence. It gives them hopefulness that this message actually can bear fruit when I feel discouraged. And so it gives them authority. It gives them accountability. But they actually have a church family that cares for them and that, that sends them and checks in on them and wants to be of help to them as much as we can, even from afar. And it provides them with aid. Uh, the financial resources are, are fueled by us as a local church. We are praying for them and giving them aid in that way. We are supporting them in their task that they are doing even in other parts of the world. And so just a few thoughts in closing before Pastor Tom comes. I just want us to think about this as a church, and there's much more that could be said. But I want us to think as we are senders, as church members here, as we're senders, couple practical things we can do even with this dear couple would be to stay informed of their work as best as you can in the months and the years ahead stay informed of what they're doing they're going to even be in the lobby later you can learn some ways that you could stay informed with them uh, as they go to this work I would encourage you to pray for them regularly as the Lord calls them to mind or try to develop intentional ways that you can pray for them and pray for others that we have sent out I'd encourage you as, as they are away to try to find ways, try to think of creative ways. And my life group will bear particular responsibility for this as they're members of our life group. But try to think of ways you could encourage them even from afar. Things that you could send to them. Messages of encouragement that you could send to them. Scripture that you could share with them that the Lord's impressed upon your heart that you think would edify them. And then the last thing would be, uh, and I don't talk about money often, but would be to be generous with your resources as a, as a Christian. Uh, a significant part of our budget as a church that we pull together our resources goes towards very works like this, where we send people out to go with the gospel to places it has not gone. And we may place something in an offering plate if we ever do that again, or in a drop box, or, or give online, and we may just think that it goes into a void or some pool and, and not know what it does, but the money that you give goes to further works like this, to, to be able to free our people up to go to the nations with the gospel. So let us be generous with our resources. For people to be saved, according to this text, for people to be saved, preachers must be sent. They must be sent by God. They must be sent by a church. And the, the feet of those who take it are beautiful. And so thankful for you, brother and sister.